It's Friday, February 26, 2021. And for the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, this is Pennsylvania Legacies. I'm Josh Rollerson. One year ago, COVID-19 was only just beginning to make its presence felt in the U.S. By the end of March, Pennsylvania and much of the rest of the country were in lockdown. And already it was clear that our relationship to trails and open space was changing. News coverage and anecdotal reports indicated more and more Pennsylvanians were taking refuge outdoors. But as with so many other things in those earliest days of the pandemic, what that meant was unclear. At PEC, we saw a need for solid data and analysis to guide decision-making around trails under this unfamiliar new paradigm. So we went in search of answers. And what we found was eye-opening, even for many trail professionals. Not only was trail use up dramatically, the spring trail season itself was off to an early start. Parking lots were full, bike shop inventories were empty, and it wasn't even summer yet. The evidence was everywhere. Something had changed. The only question was, would it stick? It's one thing to get people to go outside, you know, for a short period of time. It's another thing to change society uh, and really change the patterns in which they live their lives. So we were thinking that we were starting to see that. By the time the PEC research team released its initial findings back in June, we already knew more study would be needed. Well, this month, PEC has published a second report detailing how that pattern has held up over the summer and fall. We'll dive into the results and talk about what they might mean for the future of trails in Pennsylvania with Program Director Frank McGuire. That's coming up. But first, an update on environmental energy and outdoor recreation news from around the Commonwealth with PAC's Lily Jones. Progress is being made in Harrisburg and Washington to reduce methane emissions from natural gas production, a major contributor to climate change. A rulemaking process underway in Pennsylvania would expand emission controls that currently apply only to new facilities to cover existing ones. But a loophole in the proposal would still exempt some relatively low-producing wells, despite research showing that such facilities are often among the biggest emitters. Dan Grossman with the Environmental Defense Fund says the Department of Environmental Protection needs to expand its proposal to include existing low-producing wells. If Pennsylvania exempts low-producing wells as they do in their proposal and leave that gaping loophole in its regime, the signal that it sends to Washington is that it's okay to leave these off the table. Methane is much more effective in the near term at trapping heat than carbon dioxide, so small amounts entering the atmosphere can still have a big impact. Grossman says that addressing leaks from abandoned and low-producing wells will be essential to meeting Pennsylvania's climate goals. In another effort to meet climate goals for the state, DEP announced last week that it is drafting new rules aimed at growing the market for electric vehicles in Pennsylvania. Similar to zero-emission mandates undertaken in other states, the proposal would require automakers to offer light-duty electric passenger vehicles as a percentage of their models available in Pennsylvania. The proposed rules are part of a broader effort to increase availability and public awareness of electric vehicles. DEP is also working to expand charging infrastructure. According to DEP, vehicles release 21% of carbon dioxide and 47% of nitrogen oxides in the air statewide, contributing to climate change and air pollution. Making the switch to electric vehicles can help lower greenhouse gas emissions and improve air quality. DEP recently released an update to their 2019 electric vehicle roadmap with strategies for 2021. Meanwhile, Philadelphia is making progress on plans for a new greenway as part of the Spring Garden Street Improvement Project. This project will create new walking and biking access along Spring Garden Street. The City of Philadelphia recently completed the public input process for the project. 
the resulting executive summary showed overwhelming public support for improved pedestrian and bike safety. These desires were little changed from Peck's feasibility study conducted nearly 10 years ago. Respondents were especially interested in the addition of bike lanes protected by curbside parking. Respondents also wanted to see more greenery along the corridor and improvements to safety and wayfinding to aid travel in between neighborhoods. The proposed greenway would fill an important gap between two major trails, the Schuylkill Banks and the Delaware River Trail. Spring Garden Street is the only feasible connector corridor between these locations, as well as other city destinations. The greenway will improve access to destinations along the corridor for many users, including people with mobility issues, children, families, older adults, and delivery workers. And finally, if you miss your four-legged friends when you go camping, you'll be happy to hear that in 2022, domestic pets will be welcome at 130 new sites and cabins in six parks across the state. Some parks have been open to pets since 2001, but next year, over one-third of all Pennsylvania parks will allow animal visitors to spend the night. Of course, some restrictions will be in place. Dogs must be leashed and will not be welcome in swimming areas. When it comes to acceptable pets, DCNR will draw the line at farm animals, which you should leave at home. For Pennsylvania Legacies, I'm Lily Jones. Around this time a year ago, trail managers all over Pennsylvania found themselves scrambling to meet an unanticipated surge in demand from people desperate to get out of the house without exposing themselves or others to the coronavirus. The Peck Trails team wanted to know if what they were seeing was empirically real, how widespread it might be, and whether it was sustainable over the long term. Trails and Recreation Program Director Frank McGuire picks up the story. Pretty quickly in the spring of 2020, as the cascade of closures started to happen, we were getting reports from trail managers that the um, use numbers were up. People were finding their ways to the trails much earlier in the season than they had previously. Most of the school closures and uh, business restrictions started in mid-March. Uh, and we typically think of mid-April as being the time that's really the big push to get people outside starts. So we wanted to capture what was going on, started to think about what we would like to know, uh, how we were going to be able to report on this snapshot moment in time. Um, so we came up with a survey of some pretty general questions, broad questions, but also open-ended ones, shared those with trail managers across the state. Um, we had a particular focus on the multi-use trails because that's primarily what we work with. Uh, but we also got a lot of answers from like nature preserves where, you know, they have walking trails, trails that are uh, intended really to be much more low key. And they were being swamped because they were the closest place for many people to get outside. OK, so then the report comes out in the summertime yeah. and it gets a fair bit of attention Time passes, and then uh, and then Peck decides to give it another look. Could you could you talk about why uh, you chose to revisit this issue and how it was different the second time around? Yeah, so you know, I referred to the spring as a snapshot. You know, we were asking people the questions in real time, and we also collected trail data. I forgot to mention that earlier, but and that trail data that we collected really was for just March and April. So. As we got into July and August and saw that there was this huge influx of people that was continuing to be outside, even though some of the restrictions had been a little bit relaxed, 
we wanted to see, well, what does this mean? Because the, one of the big questions was, it's one thing to get people to go outside you know, for a short period of time. It's another thing to change society, to change the way in which people interact, to get people to understand what's available to them uh, and really change the patterns in which they live their lives. So we were thinking and that we were starting to see that people were habitualizing themselves to getting outside, to see this as the way that they were getting exercise, that it was their, their way to socialize. All those things were occurring in our trails and open spaces. And we wanted to see if what we felt we were observing was actually true. So uh, again, we did the same survey, but this time we were able to collect trail counter information through actually the end of October. Um, so we had what we consider to be pretty much the 2020 trail season, the real core of the warmer months uh, that you know, people were getting outside. All that being said, I, I'm a bike commuter. I commute pretty much every day. Uh, and I can tell you that I'm seeing you know, five to 10 times the number of people on trails now in January and February of 2021 uh, than I would normally. Now that five to 10 times number means that there's five to 10 people on that trail, but that's certainly more than usually when I knew that it was just me. <laughs> so, I mean, some compelling anecdotal evidence that this behavior change maybe is sticking in some measurable numbers. Are we, are we any closer to, you know, having some data to back up that, that intuition? Yeah. So what we saw was that over the course of those seven months that we were able to do trail count data, that across the board, there was a 17% increase in trails. And that's significantly more than the trajectory that was already going up. Um, so we think that that is showing that the anecdotal evidence is carrying forward to, to actually some truth about the fact that there are people are starting to habitualize getting outside on the trails. The other piece of evidence to this too is when we look at sort of the retail numbers uh, and the fact that the bicycle businesses and outdoor retailers saw 2020 uh, actually be a significantly up year in terms of business. And that's even counting the fact that they were many of them were closed for several weeks, if not a month or two. So that has translated into expectations now. Um, it's almost impossible to buy a bicycle anywhere in the country. Uh, same with boats. Uh, the boat sales have been through the roof. I don't have the number off the top of my head, but the outdoor industry is reporting significant growth across all categories, and it it isn't slowing down. So that uh, pretends to me that these things are going to continue and that people have adopted them. And I think, you know, the good comparison, if you want to think about the traditional gym setting where it's a lot of people, it's very warm, active, you know, close contact. Nobody's excited to get back to that now. And so the people that had that as part of their daily routine, you know, they've found other ways to accommodate those routines. And a lot of times that means they're out on trails. We're anticipating, God willing, you know, this pandemic will end at some point and we would expect some kind of reversion to, to the mean. What do we know based on this research or, or other knowledge that you have about what it's going to take to kind of sustain that momentum going forward when, when we go back to something more like business as, as usual? Can we expect this boom to kind of continue for the outdoor industry? 
one of the things that we're looking at with this is the reason that because these spaces were available to people, they sought them out, they used them. Um, something that we really strive for in our work is this idea of connectivity and bringing these places closer to people's homes. So if we continue to build the infrastructure of trails out in such a way that we remove some of the hurdles to people's uh, getting outside, um, they have already had these experiences. They were positive experiences, we hope. Uh, and now we've made it easier for them to do it. Then they, it, it continues the trend. And so there will be some regression. Uh, we know that. But at the same time, um, it's that opportunity that's there. It's the thing of like, they may not do it as often, but it's available and they know it's available. And then when there's a, you know, a new trail opening near them or there's some new open space that, that they learn about, um, then they're more likely to seek it out. That's, that's kind of the feeling. We know that it, it follows some patterns that have been developed before. Um, so yeah, that, that's sort of what we're counting on with this information as we move forward. So the critical thing is then to keep building the infrastructure, keep creating opportunities for people to get out. What kind of support is materializing to make that continue to happen? I guess, are you seeing evidence that policymakers are, are understanding what you're understanding and beginning to act accordingly? What do you hope they take away from all this? Well, certainly, I mean, you know, it, this is a difficult time for many budgets. And, and since so many trail projects rely on municipal and state budgets, it really has been um, to, to say that it's coming to the fore. Uh, we, we're not seeing evidence of that quite yet. What we do know, though, is that the trail managers themselves their overall takeaway from this at a local level has, has been exceedingly positive. From the state legislators we've talked to, they've seen it as a positive as well. And so we do think that they're given an opportunity, there will be support for um, increased funding if if it's you know palatable considering all the other things that are going on. At the federal level, you know, we're waiting some of the rollout of the new administration's uh, initiatives, but there's a big expectation that as part of a infrastructure project, that there would be a massive reinvestment in America, that trails are going to play a part of it. They did the last time. That's one of the things about this is that Joe Biden was in charge of the America Recoveries Act in 2011. And so he's aware of how the, the infrastructure spending helps to spur uh, creation of jobs and support communities. And so with some of the people that are in the um, positions within the various agencies, what we're hearing from Congress, there's an expectation that trails will be recognized as, as a true infrastructure piece in any spending bills that come out. But it's always a challenge. Looking a little closer at the qualitative side of what you found, you mentioned that trail managers, for the most part, are pretty positive about what's happened over the last year, and that tracks with what we found in the spring as well. Is there a downside? Like, are, are people reporting that they're having some challenges or struggles? You know, what's what's the downside? Yeah, so when we reported in the spring, there was this concern around the unknown. Um, as we were moving forward, so many trail managers rely on both events as fundraisers and as on volunteers doing some of the work that needs to occur. And so there was a real concern whether um, trail groups would be able to manage. And so when we saw from the survey results um, negative responses, it was really about this idea of the unknown. 
when we asked the same questions again in the fall, um, people's attitude towards things improved greatly. And what they l reported back to us is that they were able to change things up to still do volunteer days, but socially distanced, to hold virtual events. Uh, one of the big things that we saw people doing is that the messaging around uh, the need for these groups to have fundraisers, to do things in a creative way, they were able to tap into the goodwill that existed. And some were reporting that they had recruited new volunteers and new financial supporters through all this uh, because they changed to a different medium to, to communicate with them. They, it forced them to rethink the way they had always done things uh, and pursue new avenues. And so we saw a marked increase in people's positive feelings about how things are structured, how they were able to, to do their work and saw that that was going to be, as they continue to move forward, that they would be able to get, again, tap into that reserve of goodwill that they had received in 2020. So to make a connection, if it's possible, between this research and something else that has been, uh, you know, a big topic of discussion, both within PAC and other organizations like us recently, and I think uh, more so going forward, a lot of discussion about equity, inclusion, diversity. How do we make sure that all Pennsylvanians have access, uh, are aware of the opportunities and can take advantage and, and so on? Is there anything in this report, anything in the process that that led up to it that would shed some light on any of those questions? Well, two different ways that came to light through this. One was that we did have a lot of trail managers reporting seeing more diversity of users on their trails. Now, the thing is, we didn't really do a good job of quantifying that, and we kind of didn't want to. We It was an open-ended question, um, and we got all sorts of responses where much of it landed was we saw a diversity of age groups, so a, a wider age range, but also larger numbers of people. And anecdotally, I can tell you that I witnessed that myself in terms of family groups getting out on trails. I saw one time there was uh, a mother, two mothers actually with three kids using the trail as a classroom because of the, what was going on. So that, you know, sort of speaks to it a little bit. But also one of the things we definitely saw is that need for connectivity and that in communities that have the resources, they tend to have better trails and better access to those trails. There was some research that was done on the circuit trails in Philadelphia, and I, I don't want to um, over overplay this because I'm not as well versed in the that research, but there was definitely a sense within certain communities that they were waiting till they could get outside on trails because being outside at all, interacting with anybody at all was a risk that there was a true, you know, and so within the African-American community in certain parts of, of Philadelphia, people were just locking themselves away if they didn't have to leave the house. And so that speaks to a cultural thing that we need to figure out how to address because what we heard from trail managers that people found trail spaces to be the safe place because they could social distance, because they weren't uh, in confined air. But in other communities, just the feeling of going outside was a little bit too much to take. And, and so that speaks to, you know, different approaches of how we communicate what's available, what is what is a safe and put safe in air quotes uh, space. 
So, you know, we have a long way to go on that. And I think that's reflective of the work, all the work we have to do around DEI. Looking ahead, any plans to continue this kind of study going forward? And if so, on what, what would the timeline be for that? Well, I, you know, I think that we probably are, are done with it through the lens of COVID. One of the big things that did come out of it, though, was the inability to have consistent data. So these reports have really kicked off a conversation at a state level of the best ways to collect data, make sure that it's being maintained, that the um, it's trustworthy. You know, we received a significant number of trail counters. I believe it was 28 for the fall uh, study. And in the end, we were only able to use five to get year over year comparison across seven months. And partially it's because just one one month of questionable data meant the whole data set had to be thrown out. But at the same time, if people want these answers, we've got to figure out a way of how to collect it. So I think that's the conversation that's going to that's going to be kicked off. And hopefully, you know, it's it's going to take some time because obviously we need year over year comparisons. Um, but in the course of the next three, four, five years, uh, we can better speak to how many users are actually out on the trails. There's some really interesting information to, to say it's not just the, you know, trail counters capture people passing one point, um, but with new digital technology, we have the ability to say what types of decisions they made when they were out on those trails. How far did they go? You know, did they go left? Did they go right? Those sorts of things. That information paired with the types of research that other people are doing into the motivations of people will give us a better sense of who's out on the trails. Frank McGuire heads up the Trails and Outdoor Recreation program at PEC. You can learn all about their work across the state and read the updated COVID-19 Trail Impacts Report on the PEC website. Both volumes of that research going back to last spring are in the reading room section of our site under the media tab. We'll include links in the episode description as well. You can keep tabs on all of PEC's programs, trails, watersheds, energy and climate, communities and landscapes, and policy advocacy all at PECPA.org. That's P-E-C-P-A.org. We're on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram as well. Hope you'll join us for the next edition of Pennsylvania Legacies coming out in mid-March. Until then, for the Pennsylvania Environmental Council, I'm Josh Rollerson, and thanks for listening.